Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke, and my co-host today is Nathan. Hello, thanks for having me again. Today's topic, Daredevil, the movie that paved the way to modern superhero blockbusters. Indeed. Might sound a bit of an exaggeration, but I'll, I'll come back to that later. The film stars Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, a blind lawyer who fights for justice in the courtroom and on the streets of New York as the masked vigilante daredevil. Jennifer Garner plays his love interest Electra Nachos. Colin Farrell plays the merciless assassin Bullseye. David Keith plays Jack the Devil Murdock. And Michael Clark Duncan plays Wilson Fisk, also known as the Crime Lord Kingpin. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, do not listen to this. But we strongly encourage that you do. Did you see this movie in cinemas? Yes. Yeah, me too. Yes. It was a good how time, you, wasn't it? Yeah, how could you not? If you've read Daredevil comics, whether it's Frank Miller, uh, the, the run that Kevin Smith did, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, this movie for you. looks... Yeah, it's for you. But this movie looks like the comics. Absolutely. I mean, it was the Joe Quesada slash uh, Kevin Smith run slash Jimmy Palmiotti run that made me watch this movie. If you're wondering where this movie fits, because I did say maybe it was a little bold that this movie paved the way for modern superhero uh, blockbusters. I think, I think you could make that distinction. Well, this is where it fits. It's the fifth Marvel entity to make it to the big screen after Blade in 98, Blade 2 in 2002, X-Men in 2000, and Spider-Man in 2002. The seventh, after The Punisher, which is the Dolph Lundgren movie from 89. We've got Captain America in 1990, years before Chris Evans. That had a limited release in the US, and I think it was home release everywhere else. And Howard the Duck, 1986. Although not an action hero, he is a Marvel character. And Howard the Duck was the first live-action Marvel film on the big screen. Can you believe it? Crazy. So there you go. So Daredevil came out at a time where it was still early days for Marvel. So this was way before the, the MCU. The MCU. Mm. And years later, you know, we did get, as part of the MCU, Daredevil on TV as part of the Netflix series. That's correct. With Charlie Cox. That ran for three seasons. And this movie... Got a spin-off in 2005, focusing on Elektra. Hmm, that's right. It was a critical and commercial failure. Oh, yeah. But it, it's a thing that happened around the time that Warner's made Catwoman. It, it, it's a thing that happened, but we can say, we can collectively say that it didn't, if we choose to believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm on record, I think a couple of episodes ago, I did a full review of Catwoman. It's very much a thing. But Elektra, I have not got to that one yeah, but I will do. We were going to do it around the time of doing this one, but I thought it'd just be too similar going from Daredevil to Electra. Because we are going to talk about Electra. I mean, let's let's face it, Daredevil is clearly uh, the stronger film. I mean, yes, of course. I mean, by leaps and bounds. No competition. By blind leaps and bounds across buildings. So this movie came out in 2003. In 2004, an R-rated director's cut was released. Which is the one I own on DVD. I used to. I need to pick that up again. I need to do a rewatch. You can borrow I... my copy. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> For this review, I went back and watched the theatrical version. But with the director's cut, so what we don't get in the theatrical version, 
roughly about 30 minutes. So it adds quite a lot. Mm. And the director's cut went on to receive significantly more acclaim from critics than the theatrical version. Which begs the question, why did they not just release the director's cut in cinemas? Well, it was too violent. Like I say, it was, it was R-rated. And if you're Marvel and you're looking, hey, where... I mean, had, yeah, Spider-Man, the first one, it had already come out at this point, hadn't it? Hmm. So they're looking at Spider-Man, and I guess they thought, we need to tone it down. Yeah, yeah but I mean, look at the content that's on Netflix and, and, and the like these days. Netflix wasn't a thing then. No, <laughs> or if it was, it wasn't what, what it is now, because it used to be like DVD rental, didn't it? Before it was a streamer. But it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's ironic, because in America, violence reigns supreme. But if we're going back to 2003, so that's when... This movie came out, and Spider-Man was 2002. Yep. Originally, the budget for this movie was $50 million, which is relatively low mm. for a film like this. In movie terms, yep. But then when Spider-Man was on the big screen... Did really well. Really, yeah, really successful. Mark Stephen Johnson, the writer and director of Daredevil, was asked by Fox to enhance the film's visuals, and his budget was raised... To 80 million. It's not bad. So what started at 50 million, because of how well Spider-Man was doing, and that's that's why they'd have brought it back from being an R rating. It's almost like Hollywood went, hey, there's something to the superhero thing. Let's but pour money into this. Half an hour is a lot. Like I remember like first seeing the trailers, like before a director's got anything like that, the mm. theatrical trailer for this movie. And Coolio was in there. The Ripper. <laughs> yeah. He's in the trailers. And you, you watch the movie, no Coolio. Mm. But then when you see the director's cut, you've got this whole subplot with Coolio is in jail and it shows you a lot more of Affleck as Matt Murdock. And his legal, so legally yeah. his legal side. Yeah. So it really added something there. So mm. I can see why a lot of people would prefer the director's cut yeah, I over think, the standard I think it's one. It's fair to say the audience didn't connect with Matt Murdock, the character of Matt Murdock, because they didn't really get a sense of who he was. Uh, not strongly enough in the cinematic release anyway, the theatrical cut. There's some nice touches in there. Like mm. the movie opens and when we're first seeing Tim Matt Murdock, he's in that tank, isn't he? Like water tank. And it's yeah. where he sleeps to drown out the noise. Because mm. part of his abilities is, although he's blind, his other senses are heightened. So he shuts out he's the noise. He's got hearing. He's got like, he's using, we see him use uh, use of Braille, the way that he folds his money in a particular way. Yeah. So we're getting, we're getting a look into, yeah, we're getting a look into to Matt Murdock's life and some of the barriers that he does face. Mm. But again, we know he's got a sonar sense. Yeah. The characters in the movie don't know that. No. But we we know that. And they, they, they do an interesting thing with the visuals. Like when we are seeing things from Daredevil's perspective, it looks pretty cool. It's like a shadow world effect. Correct. Like, yeah, it looks cool. They do a good, a good job with that. Now, I mentioned the director, Mark Stephen Johnson. He was really determined to make this movie before it even made a start on it he spent of his own money seven thousand dollars storyboarding the screenplay that's amazing he really wanted to make this movie and again it was starting with a much smaller budget when he first wanted to get it going but he became something much more correct me if i'm wrong but did he not have a background in advertising I do not have that information. Maybe, okay. maybe. I think he did. I think he shot, not advertising, but uh, making um, music videos. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, like, like I mean, MG, that's, MTV that style right. stuff. 
That, that sounds right. You can see how he brought those sensibilities across to Daredevil because it totally has that feel to it. I'm right in thinking, aren't I? Like he also directed Ghost Rider with Nick Cage. I think I think Pretty so. Pretty sure yep. that was him. The sequel, Spirit of Vengeance, was Naval Dean and Taylor who went on to do Jonah Hex for Warner Brothers. Mm. Well, there we go. Okay, so Mark Stephen Johnson, yeah, from Ghost Rider. Or was he? No, it would have been Daredevil and then Ghost Rider. So he'd have done Ghost Rider after this. Yep. I guess that's for another time. I'm sure I'll get to Ghost Rider at some point. Mm-hmm. So in this movie, years before Batfleck, we got Ben Affleck as Daredevil. And apparently, the suggestion first came from Kevin Smith. Wow, there who, you go. For, who actually appears in the movie as Kirby, That's right. the lab tech. That's right, he has that cameo. Of and course, he... named after Jack Kirby, and mm. that happens a lot. Like, there's a character named Joe Quesada in this movie. I was going to say, I was hoping you'd get to that. We really need to talk about that. All the fourth wall breaks and references to comic book creators. This movie, it's, it's very faithful, isn't it? It's very faithful to, to the origin. And then, yeah, like you say, it gives a lot of nods to it, the creators. It really does pay lip service to, to Smith's run on the book. Um, he had a, a run called, uh, I think it was Guardian Devil, and it ran for something like four or five issues. Uh, Smith wrote it. Joe Casada, who was actually the name of one of the characters in the movie, um, he he penciled it. Jimmy Pagliotti inked it, and um, the three of them collaborated on four of them collaborated on that book. I have the first issue. In fact, I've got the first couple of issues, and I've also got it in trade as yeah. being a fan of both Kevin Smith and and Daredevil. And this was uh, this was at a time right to cast your mind back when Smith did Daredevil. Marvel was facing financial ruin. like They yeah. were really struggling. And then it was an imprint that they launched, Marvel Knights. Marvel Knights, that's right. And that's what Kevin Smith's Daredevil was a part of. And then they had, uh, was it Jay Lee on Inhumans? Black Panther had a Marvel Knights series. I think Black Widow as well. Yep. So they were moving away from characters like Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and trying something different. And they exactly. were really and they were really bringing successful. In, it was the first time that comics started to bring in people outside of the comics community to tackle these characters. And that, hence, Smith's involvement. And I think it it wasn't really, like, didn't, it was sort of controversial because he had trouble handing in his scripts. He took quite a lot of time to do it. And he faced a bit of criticism for that because he wasn't timely in handing in the scripts. So it took a long while for that series to wrap up. Which did he do first? Did he do Daredevil or was it Green Arrow for DC? I think it was Daredevil, and he later went on to do Green Arrow, and it was I think that that, that again was played by uh, delay delays, um, you know, in Smith's problems. You know what you're right. Yeah, Smith's he did writing. do Daredevil first because yep. one of the criticisms too much dialogue because mm. he has yep. a background as a screenplay writer, which is very different to so comics. So he really crams his his scripts with a lot of writing. Well, it's a partnership, isn't it? Like it you is. need to allow the artist to also contribute to to the story, and, and it's kind of a nice thing, rounded thing that Affleck got the role as well. Because I mean, I mean, Affleck's association with Smith goes right back to Chasing Amy when he played Pencil Holden McNeil. Before that, he was in Mallrats. That was yes, his first. He was the Smith the bully movie. character in that. So his association with Smith goes back a long time, and um, it's no surprise that Smith would vouch for him to get the lead role. And it's even more impressive that Smith was able to get a cameo. And back in the day, like, you know, he'd already had Armageddon, like various other movies yeah. of, of of size. So Affleck was building a reputation for himself anyway, but he was a name actor. Absolutely. When he got the part. I was doing prep for this and like other, like Matt Damon's name was thrown around, mm. like heaps of actors. Damon could have done it. He, really, well, he could have. I think he could have, yeah. I think we get a good 
a good Affleck in this. Absolutely. Although they do that weird thing with with his hair, because in the comics, Matt Murdock is a redhead. Yeah. And they give like a red tint. So they've not quite made him a redhead, like ginger. They've mm. made him a guy with like red tinted highlights. It's a yeah. bit of a it's a bit of a weird look, and apparently Affleck didn't like the look of his hair in this movie. Yeah. And he's had read something that apparently he would not look at his reflection because that's something was, I didn't know either. So it was like damaging his confidence or something. That's, something, like that's that. interesting to find out. I did not know that. Whether he said it, I don't know, but somebody's certainly written it down on the internet somewhere. Yeah. So it may or may not be true. But if it is true, I can see where he's coming from because it's an odd look. One more aside about the, the comic book side of things that appears in this movie. The, the name checking of different creators, you've got that promoter, that dodgy um, fight promoter, and he's rattling off names. Bendis, Mac, you know, um, what was it? Bendis, Mac, and Miller. Those guys are all my yep. fighters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's rattling off comic book names. But do you know what, though? Like, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, so I true. like it when they do that, where it's like, it, it's a nod to the fans. Yeah, and the fans get it. Like, people like ourselves who read who read these comics, we know these names. But if you don't get it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. distract. doesn't matter. Yeah. I just thought it was great. Jennifer Garner, Electra. Yeah, God. She you know what? Yeah. She works in this and yeah. she does. And she had she had a background in like stunt work from her time on the alias TV series. So what? she'd done that before she'd done this. Weren't her and Affleck actually together at that point? They I think they got together on this movie. Mm. Or they met on this movie. But soon after, yeah, they were in a relationship together. Yep. But we don't need to get into that. No, but let's it was just, just a coincidence. Instead of talking about that, let's talk about the ridiculous playground fight scene between a blind man and a very attractive woman. Right. That's right. They meet in the coffee shop, he follows her outside, and then they get into this fight. Smackdown. It is Suburban Smackdown. It's ridiculous, man. It, you just go, what the hell? I mean, I, I accepted it. You know, oh, back on the big screen, 2003 when it first came out. Yeah, but, you didn't even think about it. But for the rewatch now, it's pretty it's pretty shocking. They probably could have cut that scene. Well, the thing is, though, right, so it's about half hour into the movie. That scene took them four days to shoot, which tells me they were pretty adamant about having that scene in the movie. It was needless. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a shocker. Mm. But again, I've got to think, things like that, it's the studio saying, hey, we want this to be more like Spider-Man. That's a brighter movie. Let's have some, just throw some comedy in there. Make it a bit sillier. Yeah. Because for the most part, it's a pretty serious and grim movie. Dude, that was like. supposed to be a dark and gritty character. And he still is, when he's not outside in a playground. Fighting <laughs> women with size. The look of Electra in this as well, like she's wearing, it's more like brown leather. Mm. We don't really get her in the classic red, red outfit scarlet red, yeah. until the spin-off. Mm. But I guess to make her look more like her comic counterpart, they did give her green contacts. Yeah. So she's got the eyes and we've got a few close-ups. Yeah. But Electra, you know, yeah, she's she's good in this. We're going to talk about the, the moment that happens in the comics that happens with Electra in this film? Yeah, I mean, we get the spoiler warning and I'm sure everyone's yeah. seen this movie by now. She dies. But even though you get to the end, they hint. Yeah, you know. So even though she's dead, she's not really. It's like when you get to the end of Batman v Superman. It's a faux pas. And the, the dirt, like the soil on yeah, the top of the coffin. Yeah, you know full well Superman's not dead. You know, you know, you know the teleplay. It's like, hey, look, yeah, this person is still alive. Come back for the sequel. But I was impressed. I was impressed with the, the way they replicated it. Like they, they were faithful to the comics. Like the manner in which she dies, 
by Bullseye's hand, again, spoiler alert, uh, in the comics is replicated on the screen and it works pretty well. And it's the sigh going through yes. the stomach and through the back. Bullseye uses her own sigh dagger, just basically impales her on it. Let's talk about Bullseye. Oh, Colin Farrell. He was great, wasn't he? He's great in this. Colin Farrell was so cool as Bullseye. Although he asked for one, he doesn't wear a comic book costume. That's but right. still, what he wears, it fits... Still cool. It fits the era, the time that it came out. This is like a couple of years after The Matrix. So it's very Matrixy. It It does fit. And then, unlike the comic, instead of him just wearing a mask, he's actually got a Bullseye scarred into his forehead. Yeah, it's like scarification into his forehead. Interesting point about the costume that you should bring it up. In this, the theatric cinema, cinematic release, he says uh, to something was Kingpin, he says, there's just one problem, where's my bleeding costume or something to that effect. They had to tone that line, they toned that line down to that because in the director's cut, it's where's my effing costume. So, yep. he, so he says that in the director's cut, where's my effing costume. But in the, the cinematic um God, he's like, I want a bleeding costume, and he does it in his Irish accent, and it just sounds awesome. On that as well, it's the first time he's used his actual accent in an American movie in this film. Which makes sense. I mean, yeah, it just it fits, doesn't it? And you completely just buy him yeah. as Bullseye. Yeah. It to... is it's a great portrayal. And you know, okay, so Affleck's good as Daredevil, Garner is good as Electra. Serviceable, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, she's serviceable. Serviceable, yeah, it's serviceable. It's a good way of playing it. And yeah, Farrell as Bullseye. Yeah. He plays it very well. Because of Farrell's involvement in the film and, and, and him retaining his natural Irish accent, I read the character of Bullseye in the comics as Irish now. I, that's the accent I hear when I read him in the comics. It really is a great Bullseye. And I mentioned the Netflix series. They kind of have Bullseye in season three, but not really... Mm. You can see they were they were working towards something. They didn't quite get there, but this bullseye, yeah, it's, a, it's he's a great, great. He's he's one of the things that really makes the movie. He def, he's yeah, he's definitely a enjoyable to watch. Kingpin. Let's talk about Michael Clark Duncan. Perfect casting. He really is, and he, he actually returned to the character quite a few times in animated form. Mm, I think like Spider Man cartoons yeah. or yeah, probably physically. Spider-Man. I mean, if for live action purposes, physically he's so intimidatingly uh, built and imposing that you get that he is Wilson Fisk. If you're looking at the comics, he has always been Caucasian. Mm. Always. When they announced that Michael Clark Duncan was to play Kingpin, perfect. Yeah, everyone loved it. Everyone jumped on on, on board because people saw past, you know, um, the race aspect of it and went straight through the traits of what makes this character the way he is and the way Michael Clark, built and Michael Clark Duncan looks. He's supremely built and quite... You know, quite big and muscular, and so he was a no-brainer for Wilson Fisk. Not only does he, like I say, he's got all the physical aspects, he's a really good actor. Or he oh, was, yeah. you know, a really, I mean, really look at the, good Look actor. at the Green Mile, you know? Yeah, exactly right. So they got a really strong performance out of him as Kingpin. And it, like when he's grabbing hold of Daredevil, yeah. although we know that Daredevil's got these heightened abilities... You don't think it's at no point do you think oh well this is one sided. No, when it, when I mean it, later on with the um, the was it the water sprinklers the fight scene it becomes more one sided. That's cool. Uh, he basically dismisses his security guard and says you can go home. I was born and raised in the Bronx. I can handle yeah, this. Yeah, but then a little bit of water in his eyes and he comes undone. <laughs> but still, yeah, wow. This who is... would have thought that water was Kingpin's Achilles heel? <laughs> this is a great Kingpin. Now, growing up on the animated series Spider-Man in the 90s... Mm, that was awesome. I always took Kingpin as being 
a Spider-Man villain. But then years later, Not reading so. the comics, I'm like, oh, actually, it turns out he's really a Daredevil villain. And this movie reinforced that as well. Mm. But then when I went and looked into it, Kingpin did actually first appear in an issue of The Amazing Spider-Man back in 1967. It wasn't until Daredevil issue 170 in 1981 when Frank Miller was writing that he tangled with Daredevil. And since then, he's been a a major part of Daredevil. He's a mainstay in Daredevil lore. So now it makes sense why they went to him for Spider-Man in the 90s the animated series sure. but I always had a strong association between Spider-Man and Daredevil I think he's one of those villains much like Juggernaut that can... no sorry Sp- Spider-Man and Kingpin I meant I think he's one of those villains much like Juggernaut where you can really use him in all facets of the Marvel Universe he, he can interact and interface with any superheroes in the Marvel canon he's just one of those kind of villains he's a great villain like, he, he really is and on yeah. the, um, the TV show Vincent D'Onofrio Fantastic. Oh, yeah, Donforio. Absolutely fantastic. Vincent Donforio was... Kingpin. It's awesome. I think Kingpin, even as an aside, even tangles with Wolverine in certain issues of Wolverine. It might have been been Frank Miller's Wolverine run. Yeah, and I've I've read those characters come up against each other. Yep. Years before the MCU, before Iron Man, all of that, Jon Favreau is in this movie as an actor playing... Foggy Nelson. That's crazy. It really is. So Favreau's had a long history and association with Marvel. And you know what? He's actually working on this movie that Favreau began discussions with Marvel over what would eventually become Iron Man. That's incredible. Started with this movie. So you know I was saying earlier how this movie paved the way, modern superhero blockbusters. It really did. Well, it's a testament to the saying everything's connected. I mean, tonally, it's it's just like the comic, and then you hear about these other elements as well. And, of course, what would a Marvel movie be without a Stanley cameo? Oh, of course. That was happening... This was happening before the MCU. Oh, way before. So this predated the MCU. We had cameos in Spider-Man movies by Sam Raimi, and then this Daredevil movie by Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, what am I saying? By Stan Lee. We'll go back to the first X-Men movie. Stan Lee was on the beach. Yeah, it was there. That's right. So yeah, so the, the Stanley cameo thing has been going on for for a very long time. His scene in this movie, it's with Scott Terra, who was the young Matt Murdock. Yep. What I did hear though, oh and young Matt Murdock, he, he helped save his life. Like he stops him stepping out stepping out into the That's right. into the street. Unfortunately, I did hear that Stanley disliked the film oh, because wow. he felt the film was too tragic. Mm. But we've said it already. Daredevil is a, is a very tragic character. So it's a, it's, it's a contradiction in and of itself. Yeah, but Stanley's there. It's always good to see, see him in there. Absolutely. They slightly changed up the origin. I've been talking about how it is faithful to the origin, and it is. But in the film, Matt runs into an industrial area where a forklift accidentally damages a container which is filled with toxic waste and it falls in his face. But in the comics, Matt saves an elderly blind man from being run over by a truck. It is a radioactive isotope falling out of the truck that strikes him in the face. So not too dissimilar. It's very similar, but they changed it up a little bit. Ever so slightly. I mean, that, if they kept it true to the comics, they could have had Stan Lee as that blind man. Yeah, isn't, wouldn't, that have been, wouldn't that have been a cool thing? 
But again, it, it's close enough. And if you look at the rest of what's going on here, it is, it's very faithful. The Daredevil costume, like they do give you the double D. Yep. But they've changed it up quite a bit now. Again, comparisons to Spider-Man, they went to what looks like Lycra, you know, that classic superhero material. Yeah. For this, though, it's more like red leather. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like he's wearing a red, red leather, red, a red leather jacket. It looks very hot. <laughs> like, it yeah, looks he's like, like he's sweating yes, off in it. It really would be. But he's got the, the mask and the horns. And if I'm honest, like, I don't know. like it's And even like the double D, it's not central on his chest like it is in the comics. But it's kind of to the side. It's one of those rare instances where the, where, the, where the costume doesn't necessarily have to be comics accurate. Yeah, but for the most part, it does, it does work for me. And tonally, it fits the world. Yeah. So it, it, it does work. It works. And they did spend a lot of time actually trying to get the costume right. Apparently, it was one of the hardest aspects of the production. It took approximately seven to eight months for them to reach their final design. Just to tailor the, the, the suit. Wow. It's a big part of the movie. Yeah, well, It they, really uh, is. So they had to the get it right. The studio is sinking a lot of cash into it, so... And we've talked about, like, tonally, like, this is different to most of the other Marvel films of that time. Mm. I mean, it was closely followed by The Punisher with Thomas Jane, but even that wasn't as dark as this movie. But if you look at the other ones, X-Men, Spider-Man, this one did look a little bit different. Yeah. should probably talk about the soundtrack. Had a pretty decent soundtrack. A lot of, of, like, new metal and turn-of-the-century alternative rock. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've I've listened to it. I remember rushing out and buying the CD. Mm. And that was when the movie first came out. That was Daredevil, the album. So that was a, that was released around the time of the movie theatrically. But then I think it was the following year that the score was released by Graham Revel. Yeah. And I've got a, both. And good, I still have both today. Good score, too, from memory. It really is. Yeah. And this, oh, that's right. The he's, opening scenes of the movie where he's beat up to hell and yeah, and he's hanging and he's bleeding and he gets found by the father in the church. Very cool. That score is is great. It really is. It is a solid score, easily recognizable as being Daredevil. Mm. But I just remember that I was trying to think who features on Daredevil the album, well, and then I remembered there's two Evanescent songs. Yeah, remember that, and one of them. It's when Elektra is gearing up and she's training and she's getting ready to go into yeah, battle. Yeah, and she's slashing those bags of sand with the size. Yeah, it was just, it was the thing to do at the time. I mean, yep. even, you know, Spider-Man, as well as having scores by Danny Elfman, yeah. it had a pop rock soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the thing of the early 2000s, you know, the down-tuned, distorted guitars, the female vocalists with the complimentary male vocalists. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was all that... You're right. I mean, it do, It definitely it dates good. the movie, doesn't I it? I remember the songs well. I'm pretty sure one of them, in essence, is big singles, big hits at the time. Uh, could have been Wake Me Up or one of those songs. Both of Yeah, she had two. Yeah, Evanescence had two around about the same time. And both of them, which was pretty rare, I think, both of them They're appeared the in this one movie. Yeah. And they were on the soundtrack. I might need to go back and, and have a listen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I listen. thought it was pretty decent. It, it is. And again, I've got both. I, I was very pleased when I was able to get a hold of a copy of the, the score. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing for The Punisher, the oh, what, Thomas released, Jane one. They released the score and the soundtrack separately. Yeah, both I mean, of independent them. Independent of each other. Yep, and I went out and wow. bought them both. 
I've got a big soundtrack collection. Okay, well, you think the done thing to do, the, the done thing, would be to have the score on the same album as the songs that appear in the film? Different audience. Mm. I mean, I mean, sometimes the same audience. Like I'm an example of that, where I'd buy both. Yeah. But then there'd have been a percentage of people that maybe liked some of the rock songs, but wouldn't go and buy a whole album where the it's rock just songs. Score. Yeah. But Spider Man's a good example where it is a pop rock soundtrack, but then it's got towards the end, the it's got the Elfman main title or yeah. end title. And I think they did the same thing with Batman v Superman. You had Junkie XL, that DJ or whoever he is, who collaborated with Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So they worked together on the, on the whole album. And it but worked. Yeah, so it, it worked. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was disappointed when Junkie XL left Justice League, but I'm pretty sure he's back for Snyder's Cut of the Movie. Nice. Which is um, which is pretty exciting. Mm. And only, I think, maybe a month away, so we're very close oh, to... Oh, I cannot wait. I'm absolutely hanging out. Getting the Snyder Cut. Moving right along. Yeah, well, I think we've covered the movie. If you're going to rate Daredevil out of five... I'm coming in strong. I'm coming in close to five. I want to go four to four point five. I think that's fair. Um, it's it's a really good movie. Uh, it's it's strong. It's it's great, especially director's cut. I think if we're talking director's cut, I'd take it to five, no problems. If, yep. if we're talking the the cinematic release, which I believe is what we're reviewing here yeah, today, this, yeah, that's going to come down a notch to the four four point five realm, for sure. That's still pretty high. So for the theatrical cut, what are you going to land on a four or four point five? I'll go four. Okay, that's, yeah, okay, so... I'll go for Right, it's been a long time since I've I've re-watched or I've watched the director's cut, so I can't really give that one a rating. We're just rating the movie here to talk about the theatrical cut. I'm going to come in at a at a respectable... Uh, a three out of five. Yeah, three out of five. Okay, that's decent. It's, it is a fun movie, and I remember back in the day when it first came out, it was exciting. You know, studios were putting a lot of money into characters that we'd not seen on the big screen. We loved it. Before, I mean, until a certain point, like until the early 2000s, it was just Warner Brothers making Batman and Superman. Yeah. So it was good seeing different characters on the big screen. And for the most part, it does hold up. But you can tell that they set out to make one thing, ended up with another thing. And, you know, we talked about the, the playground fight. Yeah. That's definitely an example the, that lets this film down. of the studio getting more money, but the director being told you need to tone it down and make it cheesier. Yeah. So it is patchy at times, but it is a, it is still a movie that I watch and enjoy. Let me put this to you, though. If we're talking the director's cut version, would that raise your score? Well, that's what I said before. It's been too long since I've seen it, but from memory... I do prefer the director's cut. Yeah, that's so right. So I think I'll take you up on your offer. Absolutely. And I'll I'll rewatch it. But this movie, though, three out of five. I think we need to finish this by saying that the one awesome thing that goes on to happen from this movie is we get we get Ben Affleck who uh, who is Daredevil who would later go on to become Batman. Batfleck. Yeah, he was Batman. Then who he wasn't thought? Batman, and now he's Batman again. For who, the would have, who would have thought, you know, that, that, that his career would go, go that trajectory? Yeah, I mean, we know that he's a he's a Batman fan. He's, he's, he's a, a Daredevil fan. fan. Yeah, he's, he's gone on the record. I think one of his favourites of all time is The Dark Knight Returns, which is why people were so excited when they announced Batman v Superman saying that that comic or that series was going to be a strong influence on the film. So yeah, yeah he's... Yeah, I, I mean, he's a really good Daredevil, and he and what we've seen of him is a good Batman. His his Batman is really problematic in the Joss Whedon Justice League movie, but hopefully 
the Snyder Cup is going to rectify that. I think that's what's going to happen. I think I think um, he it's going to re it's going to basically reenthuse the studios to want to work with him again on the uh, in in the role and do future projects with him in the role. I really hope that's what comes out of this. Well, we don't know, do we? We're, no. we're getting Robert Pattinson as that's, Batman. That is going to be interesting. The I must Batman. Admit. So I'm just after. It's going to be interesting, but yeah, and then also getting back to Kevin Smith. Um, he, he, there's a scene in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back where you see a cartwheeling daredevil hey, in the background yes. well done, of yeah. a shot. I remember... That ties Smith to the franchise again. Yes, I remember watching that scene over and over mm, like just in anticipation it. of Affleck as Daredevil because it had been announced. And then, yes, we get that scene of someone in a Daredevil suit. It was one of those things where you blink and you miss it. And you were like, hang on, did I just see Daredevil? Yeah, and I'm really glad. And really like, glad that you mentioned it. Holy crap, that. it was. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Bringing it back to Kevin Smith again. Yeah, exactly. And he's so enamored with this character. He's, his DNA is all over this character, as we, as we have discussed throughout this podcast. Well, that's it for our episode all about Daredevil. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hey man. <laughs> we need an outcast. I, na- I nailed it the first we need, time we when we did like Superman three. I've outtakes. got, a, I've, I've got a different. We need a gag reel. Like I've got a reel. slightly different one with Jay, and I completely forgot to it. welcome you to the podcast. <laughs>